Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Housing Wire digital producer Victoria Wickham, and this is The Daily Download. Today, I'll provide our listeners with an exclusive interview with Mortgage Marketing Radio's Jeff Zimfer and Housing Wire lead analyst Logan Motoshami. In today's interview, which is a crossover episode of Zimfer's and Housing Wire What's Hot in Housing segment, the pair discuss whether or not the housing market has already recovered from the COVID-19 pandemic's impact on the industry. But before you listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. CoreLogic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines, CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit corelogic.com forward slash COVID-19. So let's get into it. I am here today with my special guest, Logan Monashami, editor-in-chief, chief editor, senior editor, guru, housing wire, data analyst. Hey, Logan, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Good to have you back again. Uh, once again, we are talking about housing, and you've got some uh, really interesting data to share with us about the housing recovery, the V-shaped recovery. It's already happened? It's over? Yeah, I mean, pretty much the United States housing market has been the most outperforming economic sector in the world. And, uh, you know, it first led with purchase application data, which had a V-shaped recovery, you know, new home sales, housing starts, permits, uh, pending home sales. In fact, the data is so good that it doesn't even look like a V anymore. It looks like that right, you know, uh, shape is getting up a little bit higher. So the only thing we're waiting for is to see existing home sales probably end the year flat to positive. And yeah, every single data line for housing has recovered uh, in a V-shaped fashion. All right. So I know I'm a fan of data. You're a fan of data. We love charts and graphs. This is one you shared with me before. Let me just see if I can bring this in here in a right. There we go. That might look pretty decent. So is that the V-shape you're talking about, which looks like it kicked off in May? Yeah, I mean, pretty much every every housing data line right now looks like a V shape, uh, and some of the some of the data lines pending home sales and housing for all these things are actually uh, growing uh, faster than the V right now. So it just goes back to the original story that I've tried to been talking about for many years. Housing was a year's 2020 to 2024 storyline. So uh, against the greatest health and economic shock of our lifetime, uh, it, it held up very well, and it, it should be. Uh, the most outperforming economic sector in the U.S. because we have the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history coming into the first-time homebuyer age. Loan profiles are better. Nested equity is better. Everything you would have for housing to be stable with the possibility upside of outperformance would be in these years. And going against this kind of uh, economic shock, it really showed itself that those people who believe in economic models actually won this one and not conspiracy theories. <laughs> you mentioned something in there. I think you, you alluded to housings, this period of 2020 to 2024, as, as that's, is that something you had expected to have a great housing market during that term? Well, 
I've always said that years 2008 to 2019 would have the weakest housing recovery ever. Now, a lot of people just focus on price only, but if you look at housing starts, new home sales, mortgage demand, it was the weakest recovery ever. Now, you build your household formation into this decade, right? So this five-year period of time, because people buy homes a little bit later in life, people stay in their homes a lot longer now. So this is the period in time where you have what I call as replacement buyers with a potential upside of more people moving, uh, more people downsizing. And it just keeps that, you know, 6 million total home sales at bay, even against the biggest economic shock of our lifetimes. You can see how quickly we had about nine negative year over year prints during the worst time of COVID. And now we are just, you know, today purchase application data was up 40% year over year. It just shows the power of demographics, right? And, and housing is driven by demographics and mortgage rates. And if you were one of these people that believe mortgage rates were going to trend lower, especially if things got weaker in the economy, this is where housing kicks in, where I wouldn't have said this at any period of time from 2008 to 2019. It's just, this is the year it happened, you know, with, the, with COVID-19. And also this is the first year of my uh, demographic thesis. So what do you think uh, uh, housing would have looked like if we didn't have COVID? Well, this is this is the interesting point. A lot of people come to me and go, well, are we just pulling forward demand? Existing home sales are still negative year to date. If COVID was mm. not here, existing home sales would be higher right now. It's just mm. that we're making up for some of the lost time. And I think that's that's the story that don't kind of fall into the hype of, you know, the only reason housing is doing good is because everyone's leaving the cities and going to the suburbs. And once that's over, home prices are going to crash 40% next year in home sales. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, uh, we had the most outperforming month. It was February of this year before COVID hit. Not to me, I mean, for, for a casual observer, nobody would notice that. But that month was like, whoa, that's the first time since the early part of the century that housing not only did well, it outperformed all the other economic sectors. I want to bring this chart back up for a second here because you mentioned um, we're actually, I think you said year to date, we're behind on housing. I don't, let me actually make this bigger on my end. But what we're seeing here is there's about what, 5 million homes sold every month in the country? Well, existing home sales and new home sales together have roughly been around six million uh, for a while. So what what's happened right now is the existing home sales monthly prints are at you know pre-cycle highs, but you know we're just catching up. So a few more months from now, and we're, we'll get back to total home sales looking at 5.3 million or higher. Uh, this is something I actually talked about on Housing Wire uh, a few weeks ago that we could have existing home sales maybe end the year at 5.51 million. And that would be like, whoa, people wouldn't, we wouldn't expect that months ago. So we, some of the data lines like new home sales is already positive year to date. Mm -hmm. uh, housing starts are, are, are looking really good. Existing home sales lagging, right? These, these, these data lines are moving with such high velocity. That's why the weekly purchase applications is a very good one. Uh, uh, they lag 30 days. So we'll see these data lines get better for the existing home sales market, which will make the total home sale year about 5.3, 5.4 million, and then you add about 700 to 800,000 new home sales, you're gonna have uh, um, pre-cycle highs in total home sales demand in a year where there was a global pandemic. Wow. Um, so that really speaks largely then to your point about demographics clearly and interest rates as well. Two of the things you've, you, you said affects housing, but let's also talk about jobs, right? I've got a chart right here to bring in about jobs. I believe this is it. Nope, sorry, that's MBA purchase applications. <laughs> it's the wrong one. Uh, any any comments you want to add about this? 
Uh, you know, today we had 40% year-over-year growth. That's one of the best year-over-year growth data lines we've had in, in the 21st century, actually. But just remember, it's a holiday week. So, mm. you know, take all holiday week uh, data lines uh, with a grain of salt. But the trend, right, the trend for the last four weeks has been the fastest four-week average year-over-year growth. This looks out 30 to 90 days. So mm. we still have some legs in existing home sales to get total home sales back up. So it's, you know, the, the easiest way for me to explain is that we've done a lot of running around in the existing home sales market, and we're going to be probably slightly higher year over year. So don't think this is like some housing bubble sales are going parabolic or anything like that. We're just probably going to be a little bit higher than last year with this massive demographic patch still here with mortgage rates still uh, uh, low. That, that gives you a very stable housing market. And, and regarding jobs, I've always said that. You know, people, uh, the initial response was, how can people buy homes? There's nobody working. We lost millions. We always had more than 133 million people working, uh, even in the worst uh, uh, weeks of COVID. Now we're over 140 million people working. So uh, for a market that just needs 4 million new mortgage buyers each year, it, 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 we have enough people to have a stable housing market. Yeah, uh, on your blog, uh, you know, uh, and by the way, people should definitely subscribe to your blog, Logan Matashami, and of course, follow you on uh, Housing Wire as well, seeing as you guys are part of this twice a month here. But you're obviously very bullish on jobs. Let me actually try and bring in that correct slide right now. Um, maybe there's a couple of talking points there. Let's see one of here. The, yeah, go ahead. What are the things with... Um, the housing discussion, the crash crowd, right? Mm. Uh, they're, they, they, the bubble boys have now, I call them, they've turned. They've moved from the bubble boys to the forbearance crash bros, right? So, <laughs> so this thing didn't, it didn't happen. In Are you coming up with all these names yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just wrote a piece for Housing Wired uh, yesterday, and I, you know, I said it's time to move the bubble boys to the forbearance crash bros because mm -hmm. now that now they're the doom and gloom is 2021, right? So. When you're talking about forbearance, right? It's a more, it's a little bit more of a sophisticated discussion than the 2008 housing crash crowd. And and just remember, the people that you're listening to on these YouTube sites, your Facebook trolling friends, and Twitter, there's never been a time in the history of economics have the housing bears been more wrong than this year. Mm -hmm. And we could go back thousands of years. This was the biggest whiff in history. And a lot of these are what I call conspiracy theories. And the forbearance is going to be another one because they automatically assume is everything is 2008, right? They keep on saying 2008, 2008, 2008. If jobs come back, which they have, you know, we've, we've recovered 10.6 million jobs uh, since uh, in the last four months. Every month that goes by, if somebody gets their job back that is on forbearance, most likely that income is good enough to get them out of that program. So there's going to be a lag effect, right? There are jobs, and then many months from later, these people might come off of forbearance, let alone that forbearance itself might not even be exited in next year. You know, whoever's, whoever's going to win the presidential race, mm. you know, if jobs are not back, if we don't gain the 11.5 million jobs back coming back uh, for 2021, they might say, hey, listen, we're going to extend the forbearance. So be careful of the forbearance crash bros. Cause I mean, think about it. They put all their eggs in the basket in March and April talking about 30, 40% home price crashers. Didn't mm. happen. So they've got to justify this. Oh, well, it's just forbearance. And you can see that these people actually don't have a financial lending background. There's nested equity in these homes. These people, all of them actually had the ability to uh, 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 own the debt. And if you look at the unemployment rate for college educated Americans, it's 5.3% today. It's nothing like the 20 or 30% that these people are talking about. They keep on putting renters into home buyers. 
and they mix that up. And because of that, I, I just say that there's not enough sophistication to know the difference between renters and homeowners and which jobs actually has the capacity to own the debt. So it was a whiff on the unemployment uh, thesis and now jobs are coming back. So that's why the forbearance needs a little bit more uh, uh, time. And I, I tell them, I, I, I plead with my forbearance crash bros, wait a few months, come December, I will honestly give you a model talking about the risks of forbearance. Whatever it is, it's not your crash thesis, right? It just, it just simply isn't because there's not gonna be a pocket, a, um, a pocket vacuum of no demand. And it's not 2008, we're not working from like 7.26 million. So patience, I'll help you out, I'll help you guys out. Just like I did in March, but then you're not gonna get your home price crash crowd this year. This year. I'll do the same for you in 2021. So you don't think we're, um, with the extension of forbearance and all these extensions, you know, unemployment, income benefits, and you don't think we're just uh, delaying the inevitable, kicking the can down the street, so to speak? Not in the not in the context of a home price crash, right? Because okay. you remember, these are just marketing gimmicks. These are conspiracy theories. They've been saying the same things for every month, every month, every month. But the what you, what you need in a crash is just a lack of demand, right? Mm. You know, it's not just inventory scaling up higher. It's a lack of demand. So if, mm. like for myself last year, uh, home prices real adjusting to inflation equivalents of rent were negative. I was really happy about that. I wrote that a lot last year. This is good for us. So I'm somebody that actually wants to see negative real home price growth. I don't mind if nominal home prices go down one or 2%, but this is not this crew. This crew is just, you know, gimmicky and talking about 30, 40 bubble-like crash prices, which means you need a vacuum in demand. So that's why I've always stressed 140 million people working, 4 million mortgage buyers a year. You got 15 to 20% cash buyers. That kind of demand collapse with inventory increase is very difficult. And forbearance doesn't mean distress, foreclosure sales, all coming in a one or two month uh, thesis. Remember, the silver tsunami has been a marketing gimmick for 12 years. It never happened, right? The first wave of the silver tsunami people, they died. They just got too old. So just to be very housing has a lot of marketing gimmicks here from people who are not data people. They just literally make this stuff up. And you, you just watch a few of these YouTube videos. They're just simply egregious out here. Mm. Well, so let's do this. Let's pivot for a second. Uh, you were previously a mortgage originator and you've, your family's been in it for quite a few years. Let's mm -hmm. put your hat on right now. What are you advising somebody who, you know, is coming into the market and just doing one of these, like at, you're in Orange County, Southern California, where I used to live and uh, you know, the prices are very, um, how should I say heated over there? Or mm -hmm. I just looked at, I just looked at the, how the whole, the home I sold three years ago, what it, what it's priced for today. Right. I'm like, I should have held on. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, it's, it's last week on Twitter. I showed, uh, what a one bedroom, one bath home wow. goes for in my neighborhood and it was 489,000. Right. And that's, that's probably going to sell in was like that Irvine, weeks. right? I think that was your that's post. A, that, Irvine? That's Irvine. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, you know, housing is the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. You're buying a payment, right? You're mm. buying a home. The, the biggest mistakes I see the housing bears make is they look at it as an investment. And because they look at it as investment, they, they cannot rationalize Americans buying shelter to live in, you know, because they think they're overpaying. So in their minds, they think, why are you overpaying? You People need a place to live. And I think the, the, the big, the problem is that this last 12 years, housing was a place to live. There was no real speculative credit uh, debt 
you know, people trying to flip homes like crazy, you know, outside of the cash buyers, the first few years of distress, people are buying homes to live in. And they can't leave that aspect because they can't sell their YouTube sites or websites. You know, they're just talking about price only. So when you come from the most, the weakest recovery ever in history into a strong demographic patch, you have stable demand. And it's that's frustrating for extreme housing bulls and extreme housing bears because they want something to break off. And, you know, I always say, it's, if you look at the 21st century, it's really rare to have an existing home sales print under 4 million. Uh, we had it during the last few months of the housing bubble years, which we run into the weaker demographic patch. The home buyer tax credit, you know, that pulled them mm. for demand. We it got under four million for for about one month, and then one month of COVID nineteen sales got you about the three point nine million. That's it, right? So the worst economic shock of our lifetime gave you one month under four million, and now you have this massive group, ages 26 to 32. If they just give you 2.4 to 2.8 million new buyers a year, there's your replacement buyer. So then it's like, well, does pe do people need to move? You know, uh, if birth rates do come uh, come through positive more in the next decade, we get a little bit of move more movement out here. Uh, people need to downsize. It just keeps that, you know, uh, five to six million uh, home sales at bay. To listen to the full conversation, head over to mortgagemarketinginstitute.com or tune in on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. If you would like to read more of Logan's articles, join our HW Plus Premium Membership Community. We do have a special code for our podcast community. Use the code HWPLUSPODCAST100 to get $100 off your annual membership. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Daily Download. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and join us again tomorrow.